Hello, and welcome to Thrive, a podcast that gives you strategies and inspiration to help you live your best life. Learn from us, two cancer survivors, as we show you how we don't just survive, but thrive. Hi, I'm Dara Kurtz, author, speaker, and creator of crazyperfectlife.com. I help people learn how to bring more joy into their lives, find meaning each day, and connect with the people they love. Hi, I'm Garth Callahan. I am a seven-time cancer thriver, but more importantly, I am also the original napkin notes dad. I've been writing notes to my daughter, Emma, and sticking them into her lunch ever since kindergarten. Hey everyone, we are so excited to introduce you to Jesse Brizendine, the creator of Zero Limits Coaching. He is a world-renowned expert who works with individuals and organizations to move beyond their limitations and unlock their greatness. Business leaders, Hollywood celebrities, entrepreneurs, medical professionals, and educators have utilized his services to break through limiting beliefs, uncover their unique purpose, build thriving businesses, and live fulfilling lives. Welcome, Jesse. We are so glad you're here. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's our pleasure. So tell our listeners a little bit. You know, we've talked about before, everyone has a story. Tell our listeners a little bit about your story. Yeah, I'm a big believer that purpose is found in one of two places, either ultimate pain or ultimate pleasure. And I was definitely one of the ones that found it through the pain path where I had gone through several losses in a very short time. There was a, and I guess it's, you know, it's worth backing up even a little bit more that I grew up and I was the, the shyest, most insecure person you ever meet. And I know everybody says, well, I'm shy, I'm shy. How shy could you really be? I was, I was spending 30 minutes a day before going to school, picking my nose in a little <laughs> hand mirror. My mom had shy because I was so terrified that if there was one booger there, <laughs> that I would be seen as this horrible, ugly person that I saw myself as. I was so shy and so insecure that I used to have a self-talk in front of the mirror every day up through my freshman year of college that went something like, you're worthless, you're a waste of space, you're, you're God's punishment to your parents, mm. all sorts of stuff. And I, I think that gives context because I want people listening to know that where you begin doesn't have to be where you end up. Mm, I love that right? so much. And where you are now doesn't have to be where you'll be when you wake up tomorrow or even at the end of the day today. So we can all have our beginnings. And the great thing about beginnings is every moment is it can be a new beginning. And every moment can be a conclusion to a previous chapter. And for me, with the purpose piece out of the pain, I had gone through, so after I'd gone through and done my first, what I might call my first phase of my personal growth, my personal work, pulled off some of those, uh, the metaphorical layers of the onion, if you will, I found myself in a place where I thought life was pretty good, and then it got massively disrupted. I had a very close friend commit suicide. He you know, kind of set it up, I, I believe, where I'd be the one who would find him. And I take that as an honor now, because I feel like he felt I would be the one that could handle it, that could be the strength, could understand, could forgive. Very shortly after that, my father passed away unexpectedly after just getting the clean bill of health from his doctor that he had made it through cancer, he had beaten cancer, and then two weeks later, he passed away. And those two losses started really a string of losses that I went through over the next several years. But through those losses, it also, what happened with Gabe, my friend who took his life, and my father was, it gave me a opportunity to ask two very important questions. With Gabe, it was, what does it take to put someone to that extreme? And what would it take to bring someone back? You know, what would it be about the emotional resourcefulness a person would need? And my father was a classic example of, I think many of us can relate to, where it was work now, wait till tomorrow. You know, put it off until tomorrow, wait till, you know, when I do this, then I'll be able to travel. When I do this, then I'll be able to sleep in. When I do this, then I'll be able to watch the sunset. And my dad died without really doing a lot of those things. I remember my mom sent me this backpack my father had bought mm. just before he died. And in that backpack, there was a list. And this mm. list was the list for my dad's ultimate camping trip that he was going to take now that he was finally healthy. Now that he had finally beaten cancer, and now that he finally had earned more life on his clock. It was a trip that he'd always wanted to take, and it was a trip he had never taken because work, responsibilities, and my dad never got to take that trip. He was definitely one who died with dreams in his heart. He was definitely one that died with 
out and living to the fullest experience of that, what he wanted with life. And it gave me pause to ask the question of what does it take to get people to start living right now? And those two kind of extremes in thought between Gabe and my father really started charting me on what I would call my path of purpose, which has ultimately brought me here with the two of you today. I think it's pretty amazing that you intuitively knew to take the time to ask those questions because, you know, I think I've shared with you before that I lost my mom at an early age and it was probably, it's been one of the biggest struggles for me. And I was really stuck in grief for a very long time. It didn't cause me to ask those questions. It would have helped me move forward because I was stuck in that, in my pain and my anger and my sadness. So I think it's pretty amazing, actually, that you knew to ask those questions. How did you actually know to do that? I mean, how did you know to make your experiences sort of a starting point to help you grow instead of hold you back? Yeah, that's a great question, Dara. I think for me, what I realized is one of the gifts that comes with the extremes in life the extremes that will take us literally to what we feel like is our proverbial edge, where we're at the edge of the cliff and we're looking down. We've been pushed there because of the challenges of life. And I think it gives us pause to really make that assessment in a massive way that we wouldn't otherwise. And I realized for me that there is such a loss is really fascinating. I think death is death specifically, because when we grieve the loss of a loved one, we're never just grieving the death. The The emotions are so interspersed. It's kind of like the ultimate, <laughs> it's the ultimate love triangle, if you will, because it's so, it's so complex with guilt and regret and anger and frustration and grief. And all these emotions are interwoven into that process for us. What I found for myself is that when I was at that point where I felt like I really couldn't take anymore, I was so just consumed with grief, so consumed with hurt. But I also had the awareness that I had been able to prior to that smile, laugh, love, be happy, and that there still existed in my life other sources of it, even though it may not have seemed that way at the time. When we're when we're really in the heat of the moment with a loss you know, it can seem so all-consuming and it can also be so blinding and misleading in that our vision goes from peripheral to this just so narrowly myopic focus of the one thing that's in front of us and it's this massive pain button. Where questions really service during those moments is they can often help expand that vision and bring a much needed sense of I think a sense of almost rational, rationale or logic in that, you know, there are other things that made me happy. There were things that made me happy that were, you know, one of the lies of loss is that all that good stuff that we had was tied into this person or this experience. And the truth is that's not the case at all. We, we've, we spent many moments, each of us in all of our lives of laughing, loving, being happy that had nothing to do with the people that we love and care about the most in our life. You know, we sometimes experience more pleasurable moments eating a chocolate chip mm. cookie than we do having conversations with our partners. And that's just because our partners really pissed us off earlier in the day, you know, and that's and that's OK. And I think that's where that question piece comes in is because when we're when we're pushed to the brink, it gives us the opportunity to pause to really ask those questions and really assess what brought us there in the first place. So Jesse, you and I are just meeting for the first time now, and I'm going to share something with you that you know, a lot of our listeners have heard about from time to time. I don't know that I've really gone in depth in terms of my family history, but I come from a very long line of morticians. My dad was a funeral director for all of his adult life. My parents met because he was apprenticing at her dad's funeral parlor. I have an uncle who was in the business for, I don't know, gosh, 60 years before he retired. And one of my cousins it currently runs that funeral home. And we have, I don't want to say we have daily experience with death and grief, but we really do. We see it. I grew up in a very small town, so 
if I didn't know the person who died directly, I definitely knew their family. I knew some somebody in their family. My parents, they had a book. So the, the funeral home had this one room that was kind of off to the side, very 1960s feel to it, like fuzzy wallpaper and gold colored carpet. Definitely not an attractive room. And my dad did a lot of his paperwork there. But in that room, there was a, a very small bookshelf and there were copies of a, a single book called uh, Don't Take My Grief Away From Me. Hmm. And my parents never handed those books out to the families of somebody who had passed away because they felt that that would be somebody would need to read that book when they're ready to acknowledge the fact that they're grieving that acknowledgement really is it's kind of the second step, right? You're grieving and you may not even want to admit the fact that you're going through that process, but they left the books on those shelves so that anybody could take one if they wanted to. And I felt like that was a really, I don't know. It was a very deep and compelling gesture of compassion that they were there available for somebody to, to read. And, and oddly enough, I never once picked up the book until after my dad died. Mm. Mm. Um, I, I lived in that house for, you know, all of my childhood and I knew that the books were there and I probably, you know, read the back cover or something like that, but I never actually picked up the book until I was in my mid forties. Wow. Thank you for wow. sharing that, Garth. So how did you get from your experience with those two situations to the place that you are today, where you really are able to help so many people create the lives of their dreams. I so can identify with what Garth just shared about. I think many of us, oftentimes we have the proverbial resources in front of us and it's the things that are in front of us that we usually don't appreciate because we've been so conditioned to need something different, want more, or what is the expression? Familiarity almost breeds contempt in the sense of when we see it all the time. I grew up in Northern California and it has the big redwood trees, some of the most beautiful Mm. big trees you'll see anywhere in the world. And from age zero to 18, I never really appreciated the beauty, the magnitude of them, how extraordinary they are because I'd see them all the time. It's just normal. Going up and visiting my mom now as a big kid, you know, I notice the moss on them. I notice how vibrant the green is. I notice the way the light plays with the shadows because they're so high up in the air. I never had the foresight as a kid to realize how much I would appreciate them growing up. That's a long way to introduce the answer to your question, which is I believe that death, loss, grief, it can really give us a gift of opportunity to pause and be introspective and look at some of those resources or answers that have been in front of us our whole lives, maybe even Mm. that have literally been staring us in the face that were probably five feet away from us or maybe even closer, but we never once picked them up because it was just what we saw, what we knew. And we never thought we had to with Gabe and my father, it gave me such an opportunity to look at these extremes in humanity you know, Gabe was a in a dynamic of time was enemy. My dad was in a dynamic of he was doing everything he could and sacrificing his right then for more time. Mm. You know, Gabe wanted less time. He was afraid. He was terrified of having more time feeling as he was. My dad was terrified of not having more time. And it was it was just, just this incredible, you know, almost like I say, it's almost like floating above myself and looking at it and going, my gosh, they – these two are looking at one and the same, but so opposite sides. They, it came down to time for both of them. And so having that and really realizing that was it, looking at those extremes, it was an incredible observation in humanity. And then I think what really started to accelerate then is my, you know, as another loss was a, my very best friend was killed in a car crash. Mm. And when that happened, it was, you know, he was in this middle part of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it really just, I think that kick started it, going through that process with him. There was pieces that started to fit together that hadn't before. I think after Gabe and dad, I was still trying to find the answers to those extremes. 
And then when my friend passed away, all of a sudden it was like the puzzle pieces that had been on the table all along, they started to click. I, I did this thousand piece jigsaw puzzle of Superman, I think not last mm. year, but the year before. And it had gotten down to where, you know, you you got all the borders done, you finished the off, obvious pieces, and it was down to the sections that were like all blue and all red. And you know, you could stare at those sections for hours and hours, and you may not get one piece. But then you stand up, you walk away, and it might be, you might finish it for the day. And then you come back in in the next morning, and all of a sudden you look at it, and it's just like those same pieces that would not fit the day before. You could get three to five pieces in a row, just boom, 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 boom. That is so true. That right? happens to me every time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even though we know that the best thing we should do is walk away and just give time for our, our mind to process it, it's like we can't pull ourselves away from that. And when my friend Paul was killed, it really gave me that opportunity, I think, to pull myself away and let the puzzle pieces fall into place. The pieces I had been trying to force that weren't working, all of a sudden they started to click. It was like there was this very clarity with me of, of, of humans, why we're doing what we're doing, what motivates us, what drives us, what are what are what our hopes or dreams are, what are what is really most important and meaningful. And not just that, because I think we all understand that intuitively, but I started to grasp the language to be able to communicate that with people. And that was, I didn't realize how critical that was. I could go up to someone who's a CEO of some major company and say, well, you know, happiness is probably what's really most important to you. And at the very deepest core, yeah, it may very well be, but their, langu their linguistic ability is so limited by the surface stuff of their title and their occupation. And when we communicate, which most of us do, we communicate very surface level I might as well be talking Chinese and you're talking Greek and Garth is talking, I don't know, some Gaelic. Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is, yeah, that's so true. Um, a lot of times I think people aren't even aware of the fact that they have the ability to step back and really be intentional about how they want to use an experience that they've been through to help themselves grow or move forward. I mean, that's really what you did is you used three incredibly challenging, really hard situations and you were intentional about learning from them. And I don't think a lot of people would have done that. I really don't. So I, I th that says so much about you. And I, I think that's amazing. You know, what's what's really interesting is the longer I hear you talk, though, especially about your dad, and and I and I kind of reflect back. I think our generation is maybe better at at taking a look at and reflecting and learning and growing from a situation, and also being intentional with time and how we plan to spend our time, and we don't necessarily have to wait until we're retired to travel. We don't have to wait until we've sacrificed to do the, the next thing. Um, I think that's I, because we've seen what a lot of people wait and not get to fulfill right, their dreams. I think right. we've I, maybe learned from people. I mean, we look at our grandparents' generation who, you know, basically grew up in and around uh, World War II and, and sacrificing and scrimping and saving because there there was just a lack of, of things. And then our parents grew up in the shadow of that, um, and, and yet they still started to learn to, to um, you know, have vacations, right? Like my grandparents never took a vacation until they were grandparents, right? And yeah. In fact, probably until they were retired. I mean, they took little, you know, little jaunts here and there, but they never actually like took a whole week off and went somewhere nice. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, the this is kind of a cliche saying, but the power of positive thinking and reflecting and learning and growing probably wasn't ingrained in folks two generations ago because they were busy. They were busy working and trying yeah. to trying to, you know, put food on flour. the table. Yeah. Almost yeah. like what we're going through right now. Right. I mean, you, you can't find yeast or flour, but um, but our generation, we have we actually have the luxury of time because we recognize that um, we can we can work and we can live, but we don't have to work to live. Yeah. 
I'm just curious, Jesse, about how you intentionally choose to spend your time every day because, you know, I think you're a very intentional person and I really admire that quality in you. And I'm just curious, like, what are your daily, I definitely do this every day, no matter what things in terms of how you spend your time? Yeah. Exercise is usually the first thing. So I I like to, on most days, as soon as I wake up, I am doing engaging and warm-ups and then some sort of strenuous exercise within 30 minutes of that. I always make time to just have, even if it's just a quiet moment, I think those are so amazingly powerful. And it might just be a moment where I pause and look at the sky or I, I pause and listen to the birds or I pause and just notice how beautiful a flower is or just how the sun feels or, you know, something to that effect. But it's a quiet moment. It's a really just quiet, peaceful moment that I allow myself to, to smile. And I think that those moments are so critical to the quality of our life because I'll also work really long days. I'm so driven and compelled in my work about serving humanity, wanting to make the world the better place, people's lives better, you know, all these types of things. And it is so easy for me to be consumed in that. And as much as that's a passion, it's not all of who I am. And I think that's really important for people to remember is sometimes we spend so much of our lives serving just one facet of our life that I don't necessarily like the term balance, but for a lack of language right now, Mm -hmm. it, it can throw us out of balance because we are serving only a part of ourselves, even if it's the largest part, but not the whole. You know, you could go and put a, what's the expression, <laughs> for lack of it, you could have an elephant walking on a tightrope hmm. and the tightrope can hold it to an extent, but you put a a couple pieces of straw on the one side of the elephant to throw it off balance and it's all it takes for it to go over. And I think human beings are much the same as that horribly pieced together metaphor right there <laughs> of, <laughs> you know, we will often walk around distributing most of our, our weight, most of our energy, our time, our resources and resourcefulness into just one part of who we are and that we don't take the time to nurture others. So that's a big part of me for my intentionality is have that time. And then what I've recently started doing, which has been quite enjoyable is I, I switched my bedroom around a little bit and I got this mm this light that has a, it kind of does like some meditative light and has sounds of the ocean, or you can pick a couple different sounds on and have it run to breathing. Then I have a essential oil diffuser that also has some light and I'll put that on for a little bit before bed. And it makes it this more, more enjoyable experience, which I've made much of my, my big kid life about just training myself not to need as much sleep, to charge hard, you know, those kinds of entrepreneurial things that we're taught, grind more, work more. And I realized in doing this, and I just made this change recently, it's the first time I can ever remember being excited about being able to just go and enjoy that the, the process of sleeping. Mm, I love that. Not because I'm so exhausted, but because the whole just environment is very blissful. Oh, I love that. You're going to have to tell me what that is. Yeah, I will. I want to know. I would be so grateful if you pre-ordered my new book, I Am My Mother's Daughter, Wisdom on Life, Loss, and Love. As a thank you, there are five free downloadable items that will be immediately sent to your inbox when you fill out the pre-order form at crazyperfectlife.com. Thank you so much. I am incredibly appreciative. So let's talk a little bit about limiting beliefs because I think it's really an important concept for us to spend a little bit of time on. You had shared with us that you would wake up when you were little and you would say these really, I would say, limiting thoughts, beliefs to yourself in the mirror. um, And that's how you started your day. And, you know, I think a lot of people listening probably have limiting beliefs that they don't even realize they have or that they're saying to themselves. So like, is becoming aware of your limiting beliefs the first step to moving through them? Or like, how do you figure out if you have or what your limiting beliefs are 
so that you can kind of redirect them or change them? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I'm a firm believer that awareness always precedes transformation. And awareness for most of us has to first begin of what it is we really want, because most of us consume our lives with what we don't. Mm, we work that's hard. A really, I mean, that's a really deep and I think very true and a little bit sad thought in a way. It's it's amazing. And you see this dynamic play out in every single, I mean, across every single span, expanse of life business leaders, Hollywood folks I work with, you know, the ones that we may on the outside sit there and judge as them being wealthy mm-hmm. and having it all. Part of what still compels them to do the work they do is because what they do not want is they do not want to have that moment come around where a family member gets sick and the surgery the operation, the treatment is a half a million dollars and something happened, they, they're not eligible for insurance. And the only way they can get it is if they're able to provide that financially. Mm. And so what drives them for many of them is they're so terrified about that piece, what they don't want, right? And they don't want to be able to be vulnerable to not being able to help a loved one. Many of us will be driven by the, what I don't want is I don't want to be unhappy. I don't want to be not loved. And because those are become such our focus points, we never actually stop to look at what we do want. We never stop to actually look at what's the other side of the coin and to be able to address our belief systems around that. So does fear play a really big part in that? Yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's fear. And I also think in some ways it's it's very much a a painful ignorance. That painful mm. ignorance in a sense is we, we use the term blissful ignorance a lot, right? I'm, I'm blissfully mm. ignorant that I'm not aware of what's going on around me or externally. But there's a painful ignorance too in that the painful ignorance is that we're unaware of what we really do want. We're unaware of what we of what life could really be like, mm-hmm. of what our careers could really be like, what our relationships could really be like, what our health could really be like. And the reasons why that is, it's family, it's it's our consumer culture, it's it's the social structures of our society, it's it's our communities, it's everything. It's you know what Garth was saying earlier, running to the generational bridge of mm-hmm. grandparents going up post World War II, grandparents going through World War II, parents going through the shadows of that time. You know, for many of the, especially here in North America, the United States, generationally the the mantra for the generations was always work hard, sacrifice, so Mm -hmm. the generation after would have it better. And it's, well, congratulations. We have it so good. We're so much as in abundance now. (laughs) We have in the palms of our hands, we have access to more information than most people had in their entire lifetimes 50 years ago. We, from literally the devices we carry around with ourselves, we can do every single function. We can, with a swipe, we could Mm -hmm. have all the major pleasure sources of our needs met. We could have food delivered to our house. We could have, I mean, really you could have sex delivered to your house. You can have entertainment delivered. You can have everything at literally a fingertip away. And with, I think one of the challenges we're facing right now societally is with such an easy access to instant pleasure, instant gratification, it is making it all the more hard for us to assess what do we really, really want because if human beings at our most basic, basic core, everything we do is to avoid pain or gain pleasure. Everything that drives us, everything that compels us is to avoid pain or gain pleasure. That's why we never pick up the grief book that's right in front of us our whole life until mm-hmm. after we go through the painful experience. And we have at our disposal 24-7 something that will instantly give us pleasure. We never have to sit through the the tough parts of really what's not working and what do I really want on the other side of us? Because there's, there is a thousand band-aids to put on a thousand cuts. And th- we are continually innovating more and more of those band-aids to cover up more and more and more wounds. And that's not a knock on technology. Gosh, I'm so grateful for it. I mean, look at, we can do this and we're all in different parts around the, around the country. And we have to also recognize that one of the challenges for us when we're looking at our belief systems we are on pleasure overload, which is why there's also on the, the other side of that 
in the United States, we have, gosh, I think it's the statistically, it's like one in two adults will take some sort of medication for stress, anxiety, depression in their lifetime. The, the anti-stress, anti-anxiety, anti-depression medicinal industry is like a $150 plus billion a year industry. So even though we have access to this ultimate pleasure, we don't necessarily, we're not really accessing what true pleasure would be for us, which is usually purpose, which is usually self-love, which is usually a, a sense of, of loving and belonging, community, family, uh, trust, being heard, being seen. And we're not getting to those deeper ask because it's so easy for us to satisfy immediate surface needs. It's easy to distract ourselves because yeah. it's uncomfortable to go there. And I think a lot of people, I don't think necessarily people know how to start. So how would someone start? If someone's listening to this podcast and they're thinking, okay, this all sounds really good. Um, I want to be happier. I want to, you know, figure out what my pur purpose is. I want to, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. how, how do they start? Yeah. If we could use Garth's example that he shared earlier of the grief book. Most of us have something in front of us that's been around us, that's been near us, that's been a thought in our mind or a feeling in our heart for most of our lives. And it may be something that we see every single day or just about every single day or we think about every single day. What for most of us will compel us to act, especially when it's so easy to distract ourselves with instant gratification, instant pleasure, is pain. It wasn't until Garth's dad finally passed away that there was enough pain to compel him to act to pick up the book that he had probably thought of at many times over the course of his life. What I would encourage everyone to do who's really wanting to take action onto it is to, next time you're aware of that thought, that feeling, lean into it instead of leaning away from it. Because what I choose to believe, and whether you're you're religious, you're spiritual, whether you're whatever it is, whether it's God, the universe, spirit, source, energy, or just blind luck and coincidence, whatever it is you believe, I believe that that is something trying to lean towards you. And like I, I call them often the silent whispers that are whispering mm. to you that, hey, there's something here for you. I love that. Right. It's just most of the time we deafen <clears throat> ourselves to the with the distractions. And yeah, so the it, first step would be would be to lean into that. It's interesting. A few years ago, I wrote a book and people felt compelled to ask me how they could write a book. Hmm. Um, and they didn't know my background, which was I wasn't an author. It, it, it literally fell into my lap. My experience is about as opposite of, of what a, an author experience could be. I started asking them a question back, which was, how many pages did you write today? Hmm. And and they would get this look of of abject horror on their face like oh my goodness i didn't actually think i had to write to be you mean, an author. I, ha you mean I have to do the work <laughs> and and it was it was they you know they they always started out the question with i've got this story in my heart that i need to tell and if they would have just leaned into that and to even just written one paragraph they could have they could have used that as a springboard to build some momentum or at least at least flesh out whether or not that that was a good path for them yeah. but instead they leaned away because uh, because that action was actually very emotionally exposing. It's hard. It's you're being vulnerable, and it's it can be really scary to admit these things to yourself about yourself. Yeah, it's it's the somebody I heard this shared the other day, and somebody was talking about a person approaching them, doing the "I would love to be an author" thing. Mm -hmm. I would love to be an author, but I'm a bad writer. And the response was, well, show me the bad pages that you've written. <laughs> so I, that, that was a limiting belief, though. That person uh, was having a limiting belief because that was kind of a story they were telling themselves for whatever reason. You, you know, that's so interesting. That, that same exact situation came up with me in my work this week. Somebody was talking about something that needed to be written. Um, and, and I'm working on the communications team for my company. And I said, OK, what do you what do you have? And they said, well, we, we haven't actually written anything down yet. Hmm. And, and I said, well, I, I, if I'm going to edit this, I, I can edit a bad page, but I'm, I'm not going to be able to edit a blank page. 
and again, it was just one of those things that they, I think that they had this fear of writing down something that I would then pick apart. Mm. Um, they were and, scared and, of you. Well, I don't think it was me I, per you can, se. <laughs> you can be really scary. I, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, I you know, I, so I do, I do edit with a really scary intent, right? But gosh, you know, the reason why I want to edit is I want to make your words so that they resonate with the readers because the reason why you need to write them is that we need somebody to do something. It's not because we just want to tell a story. It's because there has to be some sort of action. And gosh, you know, please don't be afraid because I send my things that I've written to somebody else and I don't take it personally when they say, Garth, this looks like it's visual vomit. <laughs> I, I recognize that that what I wrote might not have been good. So it's it's that really, I think, understanding that it's okay to be vulnerable. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be silenced and no matter what it is, you know, whether it's you want to be the world's best baker or the next, you know, food network star or whatever. You have to be willing to take that step and be be willing to learn and grow and, and understand that uh, you're starting from zero. But we've all started from zero at some point. So, Jesse, someone is listening to this and they are saying, OK, I'm willing to pay attention to the silent whispers. I think that's how you phrased it, which I really liked. And I'm willing to lean into that uncomfortable space and pay attention. But then what? Then what do I do? I want a listener to be able Mm -hmm. to kind of move through this a little bit or to kind of have some takeaways in terms of, you know, maybe starting to create the life of maybe with a little bit more intention. Yeah, And it's a really important question. I'm grateful you asked because what will happen for most of us is if we are willing to listen to the silent whispers, if we are willing to lean into it, we are willing to take an action. We take the action and there's not the immediate feedback. Mm. Or if the feedback we get is that scary pin of editing kind of feedback where then we, we, we might internalize it. We may not have the, the fortitude to internalize it as this is somebody who's really helping us be our best. Instead, we take it as rejection and, why the hell did I even bother trying in the first place? Mm. So to get past that, we need to cultivate and decide on a reason why we're even doing it in the first place. And it has to be substantial. I'll give you an example. At the time of this recording right now, it's June 3rd, 2020. And there's a lot of unrest in the United States. And people are very emotionally charged over a variety of issues. What you're seeing happen and why you're seeing these things happen is so mass is because what's compelling people is there's this, there's this very deep reason why that they're acting right now and why they're acting now at a time they wouldn't. And where any sort of tremendous change happens, whether it's in social, whether it's political, whether it's personal, financially, professional, is we need to have something compelling us to act, something that's willing to help us literally endure whatever it might be, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual pain, because there's the belief that on the other side of it, there's something greater. You know, parents can understand this in a very easy way is that, you know, you may not go outside after, I'm just going to say like, let's say you wouldn't cross the street with, with the cars moving on a green light because it's not good for your survival, right? But if you saw your child out there in the middle of the road, there's nothing that would stop you from getting out in the middle of the road and getting to your kid. Because the reason why is very clear. It could potentially be a life or death for your child. We don't frame what we want in those contexts. Again, we have such a, a easily accessible life to distraction and instant pleasure that why would we have to get dirty? Why would we have to go through the hard part? When it's so easy to turn on Netflix, it's so easy to swipe left or right on our phone. It's so easy to go to the cupboard and eat the chocolate chips when we're trying to lose the 20 pounds. But what will compel us to lose the 20 pounds, to say no to the chocolate chips, to not pick up the phone, to not turn on Netflix, is if we're trying to lose the 20 pounds as a metaphor, we look in the future and we say, my gosh, you know, my family has a series of heart disease. I want to be alive to watch walk my daughter down the aisle. I want to be alive to play with my grandkids on the beach. 
And if we frame our choices with that, so when we go to the grocery, and what I'd encourage people to do to learn this is to get a visual image that represents that because it's too hard for us to remember. In the example of the person losing 20 pounds, I would literally go, if you don't have kids, if you don't have grandkids, but you want kids, you want grandchildren, I would get a picture of children on a beach. I would put it on my pantry. And so every time I Mm. go to my pantry, I have to confront I am either choosing those children or I'm choosing the chocolate chips. Mm, I love that. And that is a really tough framework for us to negotiate with. If we have people in our lives, we always want to leverage and leverage the people and the things that mean and matter the most to us. And those are usually inevitably in our whys. So we have to give ourselves something compelling that is more meaningful to us. Just to lose 20 pounds, it's not meaningful. If we associate 20 pounds of life and death and enjoying life with our children, absolutely. If we, if when we're writing the book, writing the book, it seems cool, but you know, most of us, it's not pleasurable enough to get <laughs> adulations from our peer group because we could do something else. We can go post something on Facebook and have somebody yeah. say something nice to us. But if it becomes some sort of meaningful legacy piece that their kids, their grandkids could win, if it's something that they realize that they're committed to making social change and that they have a story they know will do it, and every day they have to, when they sit down at their computer to type, they are looking at an image that represents that, or they've written it down about why they're writing in the first place. And I recommend everybody do this. Why are you doing this? You know, I'm, I'm writing this book because I realize that there is this very thing that's so wrong in the world and for so long, I haven't been doing anything about it. And today I'm committing to do it. It is going to be much harder for us to not follow through with that. And then the second piece of that is once you have the why, share what that is so you have accountability, mm. right? Share what it is. It's, it's great. I did this thing several years ago where I challenged myself to do a thousand things I'd never done before in one calendar year. Mm, I love that. And it was just, I mean, that was after... Gabe and my father had passed away and I wanted to do it as a way to try to, you know, self-discover mm. happiness and figure out what it was that I enjoyed, what made me happy. It was, and I had to do at least one new thing a day. You do the math, you have to average close to three. I would have given up in the first three days because just the sheer number of 1,000 was so overwhelming. If I hadn't have been smart enough to email everyone in my email list and tell them, <laughs> Hey, everyone, I am going to do this. I would love for some suggestions. And then when I had all these people writing back suggestions, many of which I never did, but what I now had is I had a sense of responsibility, a sense of duty, because it wasn't just about me. It was about them. People asked you about it and you did not want to let them down, which, okay, side note, I have to know what was your favorite thing that you did out of the thousand? So my favorite thing, I'll give you the top two. Okay. The number two, number two was, and this one's appropriate because they just had the the Dragon space shuttle took the astronauts to space mm. for the first time since 2011. Yeah. My number two was I was actually at the final space shuttle launch in 2011 in Orlando and got to see that happen mm-hmm. and be a amazing. part of that. Oh my God, it was yeah. amazing. Amazing. My number one though was I I had this idea, so I've always had this affinity for sunrises and sunsets and. I created this event called International Sunrise Sunset Day. And the idea was to get people from all over the world to just take pause and take a photo of the sunrise or sunset wherever they were in the world and post it. Mm -hmm. And that first year we did it, we had, gosh, I think we had submissions from something like 32 different countries. Wow! It was so beautiful because you literally got to see the sun rise and set around the world. And that since evolved now to, it's an annual event we're every year on September 12th and we do it on September 12th now because my friend Paul, who was killed, that's his birthday. So it's mm. become a way to, for me to honor him. And we do a fundraiser now where it's, it's framed in the context of people take pause on September 12th to take a photo or sunrise or sunset in honor of a loved one or ones they've lost. And then I encourage them to either make a financial donation to a cause or something that would be meaningful to their loved ones or perform an act of kindness in mm. honor of the loved one or ones they've lost. And you know, to date, we've had, gosh, we've had over 110 countries, all seven continents. We've even got sunrises and sunsets from Antarctica participate. And I mean, it's it's such an incredible event. And every year I do that event, I still get goosebumps and tears with watching it. And it was something that I think what's really powerful with that is when that event first started of all 1,000, it didn't cost money. It was completely free. All it took was time and all it took was a reason why 
to begin it in the first place. I love that so much. In the back of my head, I'm thinking I really need to plan a trip to Iceland around, you know, early September this year. There's your, right? Why are you waiting? I mean, except for, you know, the whole coronavirus thing, but whatever. Okay. Um, So you, I mean, you are such, I feel like we could talk to you forever because you are just so interesting. There are so many different layers to you of, of your experiences and what you've been through. And then you're just very intentional about thinking through what you've been through to try to move forward. And and you have, and tell us a little bit about the work that you do with people in case any of our listeners are listening and they are kind of like, Hmm, I really, I want more Jesse, you know, it's because I think it's, it's really interesting. Thank you for that. I, I, I always say like, I think humanity and individuals and myself, especially we're, we're mixed bags where I can talk about all these types of things. And I'll be the first to say my favorite TV show is South Park. (laughs) So I won't judge you for that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to have some well-roundedness to us. Mm -hmm. My, so my main work is with, again, individuals and organizations that leaders, high achiever of people who are really wanting to not only achieve great success in their business, but live fulfilling lives. And my, my kind of my core belief is that the two greatest superpowers all human beings have are the thoughts we think and the emotions we experience. So thoughts we think, the feelings we feel. In any sort of superhero genre, you know that the superhero needs an arch nemesis. It's what makes the story compelling. And for humans, I think our two greatest arch nemesis are the thoughts we think and the feelings <laughs> we feel. So it's interesting that they're yeah. one and the same. So much of my work is helping these two great superpowers work together and then channeling them towards what it is we really want, purpose, passion, you know, success in our business, fulfillment in our lives, and doing that kind of really deep work with folks. And then with the organizational piece, it's usually about integrating those things in the organizations, facilitating growth mindset and teams. And yeah, it's I, I'm really blessed. I get to work with some really incredible people who are doing some really incredible things. And it's it's my greatest joy. It's every day. I'm, I love it. Well, I know you help so many people around the world and just your work is really beautiful to watch. We always love to ask our guests if they could share their favorite thriving tip, a little nugget of extra goodness, something that they incorporate in their own personal lives to help them thrive. So we'd love to hear what your favorite thriving tip is today. Your the current one that you love. Yeah. It's simplify. I Mm. think that there's so much beauty in the simplicity and it's often what's right in front of you. Go outside, find a blade of grass, find a flower, find a tree, find a body of water, find a bird, and just sit there and listen to the bird sing. Look at the tree, but don't look at it as a tree. Look at the, that it's grown through whatever adversities around it. Look at the blade of grass that has pushed through the concrete and is still there green and vibrant. Look for the look and look to the simplicity. And then if you want to look deeper, look for the metaphor that reflects in your life. And if you're willing to, it will be there. And you will also, if you can make a practice of this, you will find that the simplest things can really be the most, they can be the best parts of your life. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Where can people find you? Yeah, you can just, you can go to my website. It's my first and last name, Facebook, social media. I'm all over it. If you just type in my name on any of the major platforms, it'll it'll pop up. And of course, we'll have all the links in the show notes. So you'll definitely be able to check it out. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. You are such a beautiful light in the world. And I'm really glad that we became friends and that you are here today. It's really beautiful. So, Dara, but we forgot one key aspect. Oh, yeah, of our we podcast. did forget. I'm so sorry. Oh, my See, goodness. I, How long have we been doing I'm this, Dara? So take, I'm just really, you know, I'm really thinking. <laughs> thank you for, gosh, I've never forgotten that. I'm really thinking about some of the things that he that he talked about. Um, well, now, now I feel I, I feel a little awkward because the thing that I picked is is a little is silly, actually. No, no. I mean, <laughs> Jesse's like what? <laughs> yeah, I like Garth always shares a napkin note um, with our audience, and I always say, Garth, what's our napkin note for today? And this is like our over probably our seventy fifth episode. 
I'm so sorry. Yeah, Gosh, you always you always tee me up so well, and I'm all prepared. So Tom, Jesse, I'm um, like thinking. I'm thinking. Right, yeah. So, today? so for, for Jesse and any any new listeners who happen to be tuning in today for the first time, I've been writing napkin notes uh, and sticking them in my daughter's lunch ever since she was in kindergarten, and she is currently 20 and just finished her sophomore year of college. I still write napkin notes on school days and make sure that she's got something from me. And part of that is because over the course of the last eight years, I've been diagnosed with cancer seven times. And these notes have really taken on a deep personal way to communicate beliefs and and ideas to my daughter. However, today's is a little less heavy. And and I I was, (laughs) well, and, and I, and I actually called it up. I had changed my note because of something that Jesse said, and it was actually around his, you know, doing a thousand new things. Which, you know, for me, I immediately did the math, right? And I was like, oh my God, that's three things a day. (laughs) You know, uh, like two weeks into it, I'd be like, okay, I tried to eat, you know, I ate a boysenberry for the first time. Uh, So today I'm going to eat two boysenberries. That'll count, right? (laughs) And so I I wrote this note to Emma a few years ago. And I think that it it makes light of, you know, trying to do something new, which is, uh, dear Emma, the next time you're afraid of sharing an idea... Remember someone once said in a meeting, let's make a movie with a tornado full of sharks. Love, Dad. <laughs> Love it. Well, I I think it is really relevant. And, you know, there's no reason that we can't – the work is hard. A lot of the things that we're talking about today are hard. But there's no reason that we can't bring our sense of humor along with it and, you know, make it lighter and recognize that – we all have new things that we can do to help elevate ourselves to create the life of our dreams. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It was, it was a pleasure to spend this time with both of you. It was truly our pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thrive is created with the hope that we help you develop motivation and inspiration to make your life remarkable. You can find out more about me at napkinnotesdad.com. I invite you to get my free audio download, Reclaim Your Life at crazyperfectlife.com with tips and tools to help you feel your best. It would mean so much to us if you shared this with your friends and family and left us a review on iTunes. Remember, you deserve to thrive. Thrive Podcast is copyrighted by Dara and Garth.